The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 28th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When, he saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Go, therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And remember this, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those are Jesus' last instructions to us. They're delivered to us on a mountaintop in Galilee, which is where Jesus began his ministry. So at the end of the, the gospel, according to Matthew, we're right back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and now he sends us, and it's a daunting task that he gives us, to go and make disciples of all nations and to teach them all that he has commanded us. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I am not sure that I can say I have created even one single disciple in my life. I can fail to look to any one person and say, oh yeah, that's the one that I somehow converted or that became a disciple because of me. So I'm not sure how we're supposed to kind of uh, mark whether we're keeping Jesus' words, except that if we really are making disciples, then we'll be growing the church. Many years ago, I was reading my Bible one night. This was, a, I don't know, it was about 1990, I think. It was a, several years before I felt that I was called to go to seminary. And I was going through sort of a, I don't know, a revival in my faith again. You know, there are, there are hills and valleys. And so I had been reading my Bible every night and um, I was really had a lot of questions about that. I remember reading this passage that we call the Great Commission where Jesus sends the disciples out. And um, I took it very seriously and I made an appointment and went to speak to my pastor, Pastor George Rushi at the time. And I met with him in his study and I asked him, you know, well, do you think we're making disciples? And, um, and how do you think we're doing with that? And he agreed that there was some growing room. We had a church Sunday school. We had outreach programs. We had potlucks. You know, we had all of that. Um, but were we really on a mission to make disciples of all nations, and especially to make disciples beyond the people who sort of showed up and fell into our laps? So I said, well, I felt like we were maybe being called by God to do more. I wasn't sure how, but I was going to pray about it. And so I did. And a few weeks later, I was getting my hair cut at a salon. It was Mr. John's salon. 
and um, they had a very upscale vibe. And Mr. John was quite a character. He was a, a middle-aged gay man. He was in his 50s. He was quite the entrepreneur. His salon was considered the place to be, you know, the most up-to-date modern salon around. And so I was sitting in the chair and talking to him as he was trimming my hair. And I told him how I'd been wrestling with this idea that maybe it would be good to get people together who did not share faith and just try to read the Bible together. And, you know, he looked at me like I was whacked. And um, I said, well, here's the, you know, so I, I put forth my, my spiel. I said, well, here, here's what I'm thinking. You know, it has to be a neutral place now, you know, like, like maybe a business. Uh, after hours or something, someplace it's neutral territory. People can feel safe and, and um, not like they're, you know, they're being set up. And I said, and then there, there wouldn't be any teacher and um, no convincing anybody and, and nobody who's an authority on the subject. We're just, we would just invite people to sit around a table or in a room together on couches or something and read parts of the Bible and just talk about them together and share our questions and just see where it goes. So uh, he was intrigued. I, I didn't know, I don't know if he was a Christian. He wasn't somebody who was going to church on a regular basis, but he seemed to have uh, plenty of background. Um, and so we kept talking and we were kind of exploring the idea and he was warming up to the idea. And then finally he said, you know, um, we could use the salon he said, we could meet in the back room after we close up at night. And I said, great. He said, I'll have wine and cheese and crackers. I thought, even better. And so we decided we were going to do this. And we would, and I said, so um, fabulous. And we set a date for the genesis of this little experiment. And we called the group Seekers. And the first night we met, there were four of us. We had agreed we'd just try to invite some people. He would mention it to folks that he ran into in his shop and we'd see what happened. So the first night there were these four and there was a woman there and she sat at the table. And I, I, I kid you not, she was shaking like a leaf. She was terrified. And she had this Bible with her. I don't know where she got it. And she kind of plopped it out on the table way out in front of her and sat back and she just was like this and just quivering through the whole thing. She didn't touch the book. She didn't look at the book. It was like she was terrified of the book. And then there was um, another guy uh, um, who had shown up that night and um, he was cautious, nervous. I think he was worried that maybe this was some kind of a trap or a setup by some, some nutty Christians. And um, so we didn't open our Bibles. We didn't, we just talked that night. We just talked about what we were doing and why we had shown up and what we maybe thought it was going to be like, what we were afraid it might be like. Um, we said, laid out some ground rules, you know, that anybody could say anything they wanted from their own experience or their own questions, but none of us was going to be preachy or teach anything or, you know, none of that. So, um, we agreed to try again and come back the next week and we left. The next week, another woman came. Uh, she had no religious background. She was curious about the Bible, but she was not curious about churches. 
And she was approaching it as kind of a literary pursuit. She wanted to know what was in there. She was keeping an open mind. She was going to the source. I went back and reported to Pastor Rushi what had started, and he was really intrigued. I, I don't think he'd ever had a parishioner before decide that they were going to start a Bible group with a bunch of unbelievers. So um, he wished me luck. <laughs> so he, we would be in his prayers and uh, yeah, sort of good luck and go forth. So I did, and then we invited uh, some more people, and then a member of the congregation wanted to join us. And I wasn't keen on that. Her name was Cassie, and she was what I would call very much a, a fundamentalist Christian. Um, I had envisioned this wonderful welcoming place for seekers and non-believers and anybody could come. But when I told God that anybody could come, I didn't really mean that fundamentalists could come. And um, I was really nervous. I was like, well, oh my God, what if she takes over? You know, what if she causes offense? She was this big believer in demons. And so she wanted to cleanse the beauty salon of all the demons before we met again. And so she wanted to have this ritual with incense and smoke and she wanted to anoint the doorposts and everything else. So anyway, we, Mr. John was cool about it. And he said, fine, if you wanna come in and anoint the place, go ahead. And she did. Then there was a man who started coming. Um, he had run Bible studies at, a, at the men's shelter in downtown Shreveport. And again, I was nervous. I thought, oh, great. Here's somebody who thinks they're going to convert everybody and they're going to take over. And, you know, this isn't what I wanted, God. But these people were showing up. And the group, oddly enough, were pretty accepting of them, more so than, than I was. Then I invited an artist friend of mine. Uh, we'd been friends off and on since first grade. It's James David. And he had um, been diagnosed with AIDS. Um, he was not, he was nervous about coming. He was scared of the group, but he was willing to trust me. So he showed up more in support of me than anything else. And we sat around this little table week after week and we would read the Bible. And I remember the first woman, the one who showed up, you know, and plopped her book way out in the center of the table and had been shaking like a leaf. Well, over the weeks, you know, she got to where one night she kind of grabbed the book and pulled it a little bit closer and she sat there and looked down at the cover of it. And then before long, you know, she opened it up, but she didn't touch it, she just opened it. And then after a few more weeks, you know, she was starting to turn the pages. And I'll never forget the night when she opened the book, turned the pages, went to a passage and read aloud. And then she shared her questions. So we rocked along like this for about a year. Um, and it, it was probably the scariest thing I, I have done um, this adventure into what it might be like to make disciples of all nations. Uh, I had to learn how to deal with my own anxiety. I had to trust these other people. I especially had to trust the other Christian people around the table. And then I had to trust God. Mr. John, eventually, he visited my church. I didn't ask him. He asked if he could come, said he'd like to come sometime. So I said, sure. And he came, and he brought his son with him. And they sat in the pew down from us and worshiped and had a great experience. It turned out he had some Episcopalian background, so he had a um, kind of, it was a familiar thing, our liturgical service. 
and all was well and they were really welcomed by the congregation. But that night, my husband, who was on the council, got a call from the council president who was up in arms because this gay man had, and two gay men had been making out in the pew during the peace. All Mr. John uh, had done was turn and give his son a hug. I then invited my friend David to come to my church and he, he hemmed and hawed for a while, but he eventually came and he sat with us and he had communion. He said, are you sure it's okay if I have communion? I said, absolutely. So he had the communion and during communion, he started to, uh, tears, I just noticed. He was quiet, nobody would know, but he had tears pouring down his face. And after church, I asked him if he was okay. And he said, yeah, he said, it just felt really good. He said, you know, at, when I was first diagnosed with HIV, my pastor at the Presbyterian church told me I was a sinner. I was no longer welcome in the house of God. I know the experiment changed me I know for me, it was an exercise in stepping out in faith. It was a bumbling attempt. I had no idea what I was doing, had no idea where it was gone, going, and I honestly do not know what the outcome has been. I just know that we got to trust God, that it wasn't going to blow up. And even though I can't say we definitely made any disciples, I do know that maybe disciples are people who seek and worship and doubt and who try to follow the word of God. And I'm not sure it matters if we succeed because I know Jesus was there that Jesus shows up. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I suspect disciples are not made by individuals, that the Spirit, in fact, works through many people. I bet none of us could name just one person that we think, oh, that's the one that did it. You know, they're the one that gets the credit. More likely, there have been a lot of people that have touched us at different points in our lives who've made their own contributions. And so I looked back on my own faith journey, and you know, I have to say I had parents and grandparents who took me to church and had me baptized as an infant. And I had Sunday school teachers, and I experienced warm and welcoming congregations. But I also credit a man named Tom Keith. Tom Keith had two, uh, two sons. One of his sons, John, was the same age as me, and we were in school together, but we weren't particularly friends or anything. And then Tom had a, his youngest son, uh, Guy, was the same age as my younger, my brother, Rick. So Rick and Guy were really good friends. When my, our mother died, um, Rick was, had just turned nine. I mean, he just had his ninth birthday a couple of months before. And so there he was, you know, just broken. Um, he went in his room and kind of didn't come out at all, um, unless he had to, and didn't talk to anybody for weeks. He, he was just in a daze. But the Sunday after our mother died, Mr. Keith called up the house and said he would like to take Rick and I to church with them. 
with his family. And Rick said, okay, he'd go. Well, because his friend Guy was going, so he said, I'll go. And I said, well, thank you very much, but I don't think so. So Mr. Keith showed up at the house and he, he came into the house and he got Rick and he escorted him out to the car and he took him to church. And a couple hours later, they came back and, and, and Rick was home. He did that every single week for four years. He called our house every week, friendly and chipper and said, I was wondering if you would like to go to church with us and if Rick would like to come, we'll be happy to pick you up on Sunday morning. And every single week, Rick went and I said, yeah, thanks, but I'm gonna stay home. I watched though, I watched this dear man show up Sunday after Sunday. And I watched him show up to pick up Rick to take him to handbell choir practice. And I watched him show up to take Rick to confirmation classes. And I was there watching the day Rick was confirmed. And Mr. Keith was standing at the front of this huge Methodist church with all these parents and their kids lined up in front of them. You know, all the confirmands were there and it was a big confirmation class. Here are all the parents up there and my brother is standing up there all by himself and there's Mr. Keith and he's got one arm around his son, kind of has his hand on his son's shoulder and he looks over to his left and he sees Rick standing there with no parents by him and he reaches his other arm around and he takes my brother and kind of pulls him in close and stands there with a hand on each of those boys' shoulders. And I watched. A year later, I looked up one of the congregations that I had attended as a child and I went back to church. Tom Keith died in March of this year in the middle of COVID, so there was no funeral service. He was a Boy Scout leader par excellence and just a good man and if they had had a service for him, no doubt the church would have been absolutely packed. But I am comforted by the fact that years ago, after I was ordained, I looked up Mr. Tom Keith in the phone book, and I called him up one day. And I said, Mr. Keith, this is Alex Pridgen, Alex Day, you know me as. And he said, oh my gosh, Alex, how are you doing? I mean, it had been years, a couple of decades. And and he asked how I was doing. And I said, I'm doing great. I said, I wanted to tell you something. I said, I wanted to tell you that I have been ordained as a Lutheran minister. And I think that you are largely the reason why. I don't mean to break up. I say, I know I never went to church with you. And I'm sure you're surprised to hear me say this, but I was watching. I was watching every week when you called our house, when you came and picked up my brother, when you kept inviting me, when you kept showing up for us one way or another, I was watching. And because of you, I went back to church. 
I believe. Hmm. That he would never have thought that he had made a disciple out of me. But he had. He thought he was making a disciple out of my brother. But he was making out of a disciple out of somebody who was simply looking on. I wonder how many times we think, oh, we can't go out and make disciples of all nations. How many times we think, oh, we haven't really contributed to the faith of another. But how often are people watching us? People we least expect. I believe every day we are making disciples of the nations. Not maybe reaching the ones that we think we're after, but reaching all the ones who see all the little things you do, all the little selfless things you do each and every day. And someday, I imagine when you least expect it, somebody might call you up and say, I'm a disciple because of something you have done. And even if that day never comes, that call never comes, I know that your faith has had a profound impact on someone. And so Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen.